Good morning, Axe Church Leander, and happy 4th of July. We are Lori and Chuck Lambert, and today we're going to read to you Exodus 24, verses 2 through 8. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord had said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they burnt, offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls. The other half he splashed against the altar. He then took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Father God, we thank you for this time to be gathered together, Lord, especially as we celebrate um, Independence Day, Lord. Um, but ultimately, Lord, as we get into your word, as we study the scriptures in the book of Exodus, Father, um, I pray that we would reflect on the words that the Israelites said to you long ago, that we will do everything that you said. We will follow after you. So, Father, I pray that our hearts will be after you, Lord, as we hear your word, as we receive your message, and as we continue to lean on Jesus for all things. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning to you guys. We are continuing on in our um, uh, sermon series called the Torah, which is the, the first five books of the Old Testament. And so uh, Josh started it off by starting us off in Genesis, and we continued the story. And last week, if you guys weren't here, I'm going to recap for us the first half of Exodus. But today we're going to finish up Exodus in this kind of mini-series, because there's a lot of stories that maybe you guys heard of maybe growing up in Sunday school, or maybe as you continue to get older um, in your Christian walk, as you started coming to church, hearing all these different stories here and out. Um, so uh, we're just going to kind of recap a little bit from last week and continue on into the story, because there, there's a lot of great stuff in here that I think is going to be fun for us today. I'm really excited about it. So last week we talked about how the Israelites were, were multiplying like rabbits in uh, Egypt, right? They were growing and Pharaoh got uh, scared and got fearful and they thought, what happens when the Israelites become more numerous than the Egyptians, right? And so he ends up enslaving all the Israelites, puts them into slavery, and then sets up this systemic genocide, right? Killing off uh, so many young firstborn male babies by drowning them in the river, right? Not a really great way to start off a story. So as we continue on in that story, God continues to choose one person, Moses, to lead them out of this exile, out of Egypt, and towards the promised land that he promised to give to Abraham back in Genesis. But then over and over again, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go, right? And over and over again, Pharaoh continues to say no. So God continues to display his power through the work of different plagues with, with frogs and blood turning or water turning into blood, gnats, flies, boils, all these different things. And finally, towards the end, the last 
plague is the Passover, the, the, the one that the Israelites, the Hebrews, that Jewish people even celebrate still to this day, right, where the angel of death comes over Egypt and passes over all of those who had the blood of the lamb splash on the doorpost. They were spared, and it ends up in continuous tragedy as the Israelites escape Egypt. They're headed into the wilderness. Pharaoh, still hard in heart, continues to chase after the Israelites. The Israelites cross through the Red Sea, right? God uh, separates the waters, and as the Egyptians go through the Red Sea, it closes up on them, and that's the end story for Pharaoh. But as we continued on last week, we talked about how Israelites were in the wilderness, but they continued to complain because they had no food and no water. They only had to take a carry-on to get out, right? So they were complaining. They were like, you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, God. And continually, God continues to provide for them out of their groaning. And one of the things that I had us kind of think about and ponder last week was this question here. Will the Israelites be as hard-hearted as Pharaoh with God? And if so, then what about us? And this is where we kind of continue on in the story. So Israelites are in the wilderness now, and now there's an interaction that happens between Moses and God, God with his people, Moses with his people as well. But before we get into that, um, I, I want to share just a, a quick story. So uh, this year, uh, in August, my wife Christy and I will be celebrating five years of being married, so praise God for that. Um, this is a picture from us back in 2016 um, on our honeymoon in Cancun, and we're going back to Cancun in August, which is super exciting. Um, but one of the things that I still remember uh, getting ready to, uh, for our wedding was reading the vows out loud for the very first time. I was surrounded by all my friends and all my family, and it was during a rehearsal where you just kind of practice and go through all the motions of the ceremony as a whole. And I still remember standing at this church and being right in the front, and Chrissy had already practiced walking down the aisle with her dad, and I was looking at her, and I was repeating the words that the pastor was saying in these vows. And we had talked about it beforehand. We had walked through the vows, but I'd never said it out loud. It was just like, oh, yeah, I got it, I got it. But the first time during this rehearsal, I started rereading these vows out loud. And in front of all my friends and, and, and close family, I just started to just weep. And I started to cry because for the very first time, it hit me. I was like, I'm getting married, right? Maybe some of you guys have experienced that before, like this, this reality that, wow, this is a big deal. <laughs> this is a huge deal. And as you read these words, you realize that these words have, have weight to them. They have power to them, that, that you are committing yourself to a lifelong relationship with this other person in all of these different things. And so the weight of it, as I'm, as I'm sharing, I'm sounding like a blubbering idiot as I'm going back and forth just saying these vows. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just trying to keep it together. But it just had, it hit me so hard because these, it was a commitment that I was going to make for the rest of my life. And that words had power. And the reason why I share this story as a whole is because what God was doing with the Israelites as they were in the wilderness was that he was making a commitment to these people. He, he approaches Moses, and in the continuation of the story, he says, I'm going to be your God, and you guys are going to be my people. I'm going to commit myself to you guys because I, I am who I am, right? That's his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And you're no longer going to follow Pharaoh. Instead, you're going to follow me. 
And so as Moses is having this conversation with God up on this mountain, he, he continues to uh, give these expectations, which we call the Ten Commandments, right? Or the Ten Words is what it says. And uh, these are uh, just kind of guidelines and rules for the people to follow as they are starting as a new nation for them to be able to care for not only each other, but also for God as well. So these are like vow renewals or vows that they are making to God himself, right? So if you break down the Ten Commandments, you have things like uh, do not murder, right? We should not murder. Or uh, you shall have no other God before me or honor the Sabbath by, by keeping it holy. And so as we go through these Ten Commandments or these Ten Words, if you break down the Ten Commandments, some different denominations have different interpretations of the Ten Commandments, but the basic breakdown is that the first three are in relationship with God, and the other seven are in relationship with other people. And I think this is huge because when God establishes this with his people, he says, not only do I want you to have a relationship with me, but I want you to have a relationship with other people as well because, because they're my people, because they're my creation as a whole, right? Having a relationship with God not only involves just him, because he cares about the people that he created as well, right? So it's just, it's not only a personal relationship that we have with Jesus, but it's also a communal relationship that we have with each other, not only here, but to the rest of the world. And so what God is doing in these Ten Commandments is that he's, he's DTRing this relationship. You, you guys know what DTR is? When you guys uh, have been dating, maybe you went on a date uh, a couple times and you start like getting to know the person and you're like, okay, like let's, let's start to like DTR, you know, define the relationship. Maybe you guys have heard that before. You've been on a couple dates with people and you're like, okay, let's set up boundaries, right? I don't want you to be seeing other people. I don't want you to be going off and uh, doing different dates with other people. I want to stay committed to you in this. What God is saying is I'm going to define the relationship. You guys are going to be my people and I'm going to be your God as a whole. And he expects the same for us to be able to follow those rules as well and specs the Israelites to follow these. And that's where we get into the Bible reading that we read today, is that the people heard all of the Ten Commandments and they were like, yep, God, we fully commit to this. We are going to follow after you. All the things that you said, we will absolutely follow. And so they're like, good, okay, this is great. This is awesome. So Moses goes back up to the mountain and they're going to have like this ceremony where they're going to praise God, worship him, celebrate through the building of this tabernacle. And it's going to be awesome. They're going to give burnt offerings. They're going to celebrate. It's going to be a great time. And then something tragic happens. This is the part of the story where, where everything kind of changes again. So, so Moses goes back up to the mountain. He's in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So, so the people are sitting there waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And, and the people start to become impatient. And so they go to Moses' brother Aaron, and they're like, where is he? We've been waiting this whole time. Where is he at? Is he dead? We don't know what happened to him. And they convince Aaron to take all of the gold and all of their jewelry to put it together, throw it in a fire, and out comes out this thing that's golden that looks like a, a cow? It's kind of a ridiculous story, right? And Aaron brings out this golden calf, and he presents it to the people, and he says, this is what saved you from the Exodus. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt and saved you. And so they worship this golden calf. It, it didn't take very long for them to end up cheating in their relationship with God. They've already cheated with another God. 
And what's interesting about this is that what we see is this isn't the first time that the people of God have done this before. And we're only two books into the whole Bible. If you remember, maybe the first time that happened, um, it was the Garden of Eden, right? God sets his establishment, his relationship with his people, with Adam and Eve in this garden. He says, I'm going to walk with you, and, and he walks with his people and is and caring for them, and all of a sudden they disobey God's word and they take of the fruit. And so we see this Garden of Eden story start to happen all over again, that the brokenness of vows, the brokenness of relationship that we have with God Except for this, Uh, Yahweh, God himself, doesn't cause them to exile out of his presence. He, He might cause them to exile out from the land, but he never causes them to exile from his presence. And so Moses hears about what's happening. He needs to go down to the mountain, figure out what's going on. He ends up breaking all the tablets that God gives him and gets angry and upset. But, but instead, he actually steps up and he says, God, I, I want you to take my life in, in place of them to atone for their sins, to atone for their brokenness. And maybe we've heard that story before on this side of the resurrection. All right, Moses steps in, but, but God says, no, I'm going to handle this in a different way. And this is where we get into a really important verse that is played out throughout all of the Old Testament over and over again. Because God not only shares his name with us and shares his name with Moses, but he shares what his name means for all generations. It's the most quoted verse in all of the Old Testament. And as you guys are reading, as you guys read this week, uh, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, you're going to see this pop up in so many different places all throughout the Old Testament. It says this, the Lord, the Lord. Anytime you see Lord in all caps, it's the literal word Yahweh. So Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and to the fourth generation. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate. Maybe you guys have heard this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love or faithful love to thousands. Thousands of generations, thousands of people in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their rebellion, God gives them his name and reminds them, I I am who I am, yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to be compassionate. I am am filled with love and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving the iniquity, forgiving the sin, forgiving the rebellion of thousands of people. I, I am slow to anger. And so what God does is in this conversation with Moses, as they go down and they see all this tragedy start to happen, is Moses goes back up to the mountain again, and God gives him the the ingredients to be able to form this tabernacle, this, this place where God is going to still dwell with his people. That even in the midst of their brokenness, of their rebellion, God still chooses to be with them, to be with those whose hearts have been hardened, just like Pharaoh's. Even when they break their vows with him, even when they complain and grumble, 
even when they want absolutely nothing to do with him, even when they don't believe in him, even when they don't want to listen to what he has to say to them, even when we don't agree with it, even when we make excuses about everything, even when we mistreat our relationship with him, out of this weird, broken, terrifying, sometimes abusive relationship that we have with God, he still wants to be with his people because of who he is. Compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast and faithful love. And, and that's the same for us too, right? God wants to be near to us. God wants to draw close to us. But, but we don't have a tabernacle. We no longer have a garden. Instead, we just have him. In, in the work of the Holy Spirit, in, in the waters of baptism, we have the Holy Spirit that lives literally inside of us the same spirit that raises dead people to life. The same spirit that breathes new life into people. The same spirit that gives people love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so as we wrap up the story of the Exodus, it ends up with them being uh, building this tabernacle, and that God's presence is going to be in the tabernacle, that as they head out to the promised land and they head towards it, God is going to continually fight for them as his presence is there, that he's going to lead them through and, and watch their backs as well as they continue to move forward towards this promised land. And, and so as we finish up the story of the Exodus, this is the reality, is that, is that we're still in the Exodus, we're still in this story because our story isn't over yet. We are, we are freed wanderers in this desert of life. As we keep going and finding things to complain about or, or searching for different things or, or thinking that our positions back in the past have brought us up into a better position than what God has brought us into, we are freed wanderers in this desert of life. We're, we're still complaining, broken, idol-serving, rebellious children that still get to come home to the Father out of his love through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one that gives his life as a ransom, as the lamb who was slain, whose blood was spilt on a wooden cross so that the angel of death would pass over us. The, the same God, Jesus Christ, that drowns out our enemies in the depths of the water. The, the same righteous ruler that continues to rule as king even today. The, the one that advocates for our brokenness through his body and his blood, through simple bread and wine. And, and the one that, just like Moses, calls out to the enemy and continually says to let my people go. We are still in the Exodus, but we are in the Exodus with hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Yahweh, Yahweh, you are compassionate and gracious. 
you are slow to anger and you abound in faithful love, forgiving the sin and the rebellion of thousands and also not letting the guilty go unpunished, bringing your righteousness to the children, to the third and the fourth generation over and over again. Father, we thank you that you are a God that continually fights for us and that when you see our broken pieces, you continually pick them up for us and you continue to dwell with us. Father, I pray that as we celebrate today, Lord, independence, Lord, that we have independence through the blood of your son, Jesus. That there is nothing in this world that can compare to your dwelling, to your presence, to your love, to your faithfulness, to the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross for us. Father, may that be our worship today. And Lord, as we go into a time of confession, Lord, we ask that we would, as freed wanderers, be able to share the burdens that are on our hearts, the things that have been weighing us down, that have been keeping our relationship with you at a standstill, Father. Lord, would you soften our hearts during this time in this moment of silence of confession together. Father, as your people that continue to groan and complain and rebel and serve other idols, Lord, would you remind us that you are a jealous God that continually pursues after us through the work of your son, Jesus. That there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love that is found in your son, Jesus. And because of that, we have new life only found in you. To your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray and all God's children said, Amen.